Good morning. Pastor Micah is away on holidays, and uh, he had asked me to preach this morning, and we are going to continue on in working through the letter that Peter wrote to the church, First uh, Peter, and we're in chapter 5. Now, it could be that Pastor Micah wanted me to uh, preach on this because it would be somewhat difficult, uh, maybe awkward for him, because the majority of this passage, uh, he would end up preaching to himself. (laughs) It's a passage to elders or uh, those who are overseers, uh, those who are pastors. Uh, There is one verse that uh, kind of talks about younger um, men in the congregation or those of us who are younger. Um, and if a board member had been preaching, it might sound, uh, you know, as if they were just taking advantage of this and uh, asking all of you to get in line and do whatever they wanted them to do. So. Maybe there is some reason for him to uh, have someone who's not on the board and also someone who is uh, not their pastor um, to work through this passage. Um, My name is Len Thompson, by the way, if you've never met me. Uh, A little bit of my history that might uh, fit into this is that I've done a fair bit of counseling and um, spiritual direction to people who are in ministry over the years. And uh, so uh, maybe I can uh, look at this passage a little bit with some grace, uh, knowing what some of these folks have gone through. Maybe it's good for us uh, to just begin, as we look at this passage, uh, just to remind ourselves of the context. Paul is writing this letter uh, to a persecuted church. Uh, And in doing this, he has encouraged the church uh, to be in the world and to make a, a difference in the world. And he's given them a great deal of instruction about suffering because it's very clear to Paul that suffering was going to be a necessary part of the journey. And he's been really clear that you shouldn't suffer for the wrong reasons. Uh, Some people are just obnoxious and they suffer a great deal of um, uh, difficulty from others, not because of the fact that they are Christians, but because they break the law, because uh, they need to be disciplined. And so in verse 19 of chapter 4, he says, So then, those who suffer according to God's will, so this doesn't apply if you weren't disciplined and you didn't get up on time and you're late for work or, uh, you know, you got caught speeding or something else, but the whole attitude that he's been talking about is if you suffer according to God's will, commit yourselves to the faithful creator and continue to do good. And and his whole attitude is one of 
understanding and remembering that what goes on right now isn't the end of the story. Um, your creator is still in control. And uh, he's talked, uh, the other thing that he's talked a lot about is submitting, uh, knowing that maybe the people that you're submitting to have it wrong. But go ahead and submit anyway because you know that your creator, you know that the one who made the whole universe is going to make it all work out eventually. And part of his logic is don't do something wrong or evil and justify it because of the fact that they are the government or the enemy. No, continue to do good. And his main example of this is the way Jesus lived as a man here on earth. He allowed the Romans, he allowed the Jewish leaders to do all these horrible things to him, but he had faith that his heavenly father was going to turn that all around and make it into an incredible victory. And Jesus' death on the cross was in no way a defeat to God's cause. It was, in fact, the most resounding triumph in all of history. And that is kind of the example. Now, chapter 5 reads very much like the end of a letter. Uh, he's probably, in so many ways, kind of, you know, gotten to the point, but there's a number of things that he needs to say before he ends. But for us who are reading it, uh, there's something very, very significant as we kind of think about the person who wrote this and what he's actually saying. Uh, so I want to read it and then I uh, want you to pay a little bit of attention to what reaction, what emotional reaction you might have internally. Uh, maybe just one way for us to do this is I want to set the stage. Peter, as one of the disciples, uh, isn't one that we would uh, sort of think, oh, I don't know anything about Peter. Uh, he comes out in the story uh, really as larger than life. Uh, in Mark, Matthew 16, sorry, uh, Jesus had uh, told the disciples that he was going to Jerusalem and that he would die uh, on the, uh, as a result of what would happen there. And Peter's response was, Lord, that will never happen. And the implication is he wouldn't let it happen. And Jesus' response was, to him was, Peter, well, wasn't, he didn't say that. He said, get behind me, Satan. You have no idea about what the kingdom of God is about. You're a temptation. You're a stumbling block. You've got to stand down on this one. So Peter was the one who, in one way or another, reacted and in a sense was about to instruct Christ. 
um, which is a, a pretty significant, uh, well, he had an ego. He thought he knew what was right. And he was a man who felt he had a great deal of strength and that he could accomplish something wonderful, and he was going to defend Christ. In Mark, uh, we have, well, in other Gospels as well, but uh, we have James and John coming to Jesus saying, we want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. We want to sit on the right hand of God. And, uh, you know, Peter didn't react too well to that. Uh, he kind of thought, well, <laughs> he among other disciples. So there was a great argument uh, that uh, erupted amongst, amongst the disciples, to which Christ responded with a rebuke and, and essentially said, the way to be greatest in the kingdom is to learn humility and be a servant. Peter was one who had boasted several times that he would die for Christ. When they came to arrest Jesus, he's the one who drew a sword and started a fight, although it didn't last long before Jesus shut that all down. On another occasion, Peter was the one who saw some opposition to Jesus, and he wanted Jesus to shut it all down. Uh, Peter is the one who is most rebuked by Jesus. In fact, if you do the, if you actually work through the times where there's a conversation between Jesus and Peter, I think there's uh, 12 times, 11 of them are rebukes. Uh, Peter's the guy that you know, uh, you know, he was the, he was the one who sort of was up front and out there. I think his idea of leadership would have been, you lead strongly, you tell everybody what to do, and they ought to get in line. And this is what you read from him. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. What happened to Peter? You know, there are times when you might wonder, can people change? Or can they change fundamentally? Well, here's an example of someone who probably the most stubborn trait or the most, um, 
you know, the strongest trait in his personality got fundamentally changed through his engagement with Jesus Christ. Uh, I spent a fair bit of my life uh, working in the psychological field, and there's often a debate amongst psychologists as to whether people really can change. Well, here we have evidence. Um, now, it doesn't happen overnight or easily. Uh, Peter was in dialogue and uh, was receiving some significant uh, input from Jesus for a number of years, but he did change. And so my, one of the things I just want to underline at a deep level is you might think you might not be able to change. And maybe you've tried for a while. Or you've watched others who've tried to change and you wonder, is it even possible? Seems to me, if Peter can change and become this apostle who had significant authority who tells people the way you deal with opposition is you trust God, you obey whatever they tell you to do. You don't fight them. You don't cause a rebellion. Instead, you do what's right. You do good. You learn to love others well. And you let God take care of the end result. Major, major, major shift in his priorities. And uh, he starts this out by doing exactly what he's going to tell them to do. He says, I appeal to the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who, also, who will also share in the glory to be revealed. In the early church, uh, the most significant uh, leaders uh, were the apostles, and the way in which they were um, recognized was that they had seen Jesus and had been taught by him. So he could quite easily have said to the elders among you, this is what you need to do. And I back it by the authority. I'm an apostle. And if he was a Donald Trump kind of guy, he would have said, and you'll be fired if you don't. That's not his approach at all. I think at one time in his life, he probably would have. But instead... He appeals to them. Now, it's a strong word. Um, it isn't maybe as weak as it might come out in, in English um, in the translation. Uh, he's appealing with a fair bit of um, emotional uh, force, but he's not, uh, in a sense, lording it over them in any other way. He says, I am 
on the same level as you. I'm a fellow elder. And so I'm asking you to make sure that this is the way that you carry out your responsibilities. So I think there's two ways that we can apply some of these. You might kind of say, well, I'm not a pastor, I'm not an elder, so the rest of this doesn't apply to me. Um, Well, there's two ways that I think we can apply this. Number one, uh, our church calls pastors. In other words, you go through a process to decide who will be a pastor. And so, you know, what I might encourage you to do is look for when you, we are not in a place where we're looking for a pastor, but should that happen, which most likely that will happen, uh, look for this kind of a leader. Uh, Secondly, um, whoever our leaders end up being has a huge impact on who all of us become. Uh, So, you know, he does make it very clear that it's not just the leadership, it ought to kind of filter through, it ought to be the characteristic of everybody in the church. So these are the, the values that are very important. And one of the ways that can help us a great deal is to look for the primary verbs. Um, so in verse 2, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. And then he goes on to qualify that a little bit. And uh, the primary verb here is the uh, elders are to shepherd. Now, uh, what does a shepherd do? If you've not been in that sort of situation where you are taking care of animals, uh, I think many of you have. Uh, Just a few things that I have jotted down, you take care of them. You have to get to know them and know their condition. You gotta get in amongst those animals. You've gotta, you know, feel out their uh, bodies. You've gotta look them in the eye. You've gotta know whether they're healthy or not. And then you gotta know what to do about it. Uh, You might kinda, at times, know that things aren't well, but you've also got to figure out how to fix those issues. You've got to find them enough feed. <laughs> That's what many of you might be doing right now, is uh, trying to find you know, enough feed f- that will uh, get your animals through the winter. Make sure that they have water that's not contaminated. You bind up their broken bones or anything that comes along that isn't uh, going to help them with their health. You give them medicine, and most of the time they don't want it. <laughs> they don't know that you're trying to help them. And so you've got to get in there, and you've got to suffer whatever abuse they might give you. Uh, you know, and there have been a few times where I've thought, I'm only trying to help you. Couldn't you possibly participate or allow me to help you, but a shepherd just keeps on going and does what's best. A shepherd doesn't really get too concerned about whether the sheep like him or her. They do what's best for the sheep. They clean the manure out of their 
pens. They protect them from predators. And all of these things can happen at the most inconvenient times. Late at night. Usually, in my experience, on a Saturday night, when it's really difficult to get a hold of a vet. Um, but anyway, I think the whole idea here is a shepherd gets involved. A shepherd cares deeply for their sheep. And he goes on, not because you must, but because you are willing. Uh, Spurgeon would say to prospective pastors, uh, if there's anything else you can do, go and do it. In other words, uh, you know, don't do this for any other reason than it's what you deeply want to do. And I think we ought to remember that when we interact with anyone who's a pastor. They could find a much easier way to earn a living. You know, occasionally I've talked to a couple of people about, uh, you know, what it's like to take care of goats or sheep, and, you know, sometimes the response to me has been, well, get another job. Isn't it true, most of you, that you're not in taking care of animals for the money? It's because you love them. Somebody told me not too long ago that, you know, he started farming so he could lose money like everybody else uh, that he knew. You see, he goes on to say, don't serve so that you can somehow gain financially. Like, don't use the flock in any way. I won't make much comment, but I have known a few pastors who've uh, been involved in other businesses at the same time, and they were really using the flock of God to find customers for other endeavors. None of us like that. It's unethical. But Peter's real clear here. If you're going to be caring for other people, make sure you care deeply about them. Go do something else if, if you can. Uh, it is not going to be an easy thing. It's going to be sacrificial. And then go about doing whatever you do, not lording it over others, but by being an example. And then he gives the example. And when the chief shepherd appears... In other words, you're, you're under submission to Jesus, who is a chief shepherd. But you know what? Peter can't go through this discussion without talking about glory. And any of us that suffer need to always remember, uh, as C.S. Lewis put it, that the weight of glory that we will receive in that day will be far, far greater than any of the suffering that we've ever gone through. And the same thing will be true of pastors. I am so thrilled that 
in going through this and thinking about our pastor. Uh, I think he is a, a very sacrificial, uh, caring individual uh, who has lived out what all of this has to say. So then for us, in the same way, you, are, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. You know, it's really easy, and uh, I was thinking back through some of the church history that I've had, Joan and I, the different churches that we've been at. It's not always easy to submit yourselves to the elders. Um, one of the things that becomes really, really a big part of all of this, you know, even for Peter to continue being a disciple, he had to submit to what Jesus wanted to have happen, even though it was exactly opposite to what he thought should happen. Uh, if Peter had continued on and, you know, brought about a split amongst uh, the disciples, uh, we probably would never have heard of Peter. Um, Peter, in an interesting way, has been exalted at the appropriate time, and all of us know about him. He became the rock upon which the church was built. But first he had to be rebuked. He had to learn how to be a team player. And, and really, you know, this is kind of a summary from uh, Peter, and it's very, very simple. Obey. Now, I've been, my wife and I have been in a couple of churches, uh, one in particular where the elders made some decisions that neither one of us liked. And, you know, it was real easy for us to, we could have been either um, divisive and called it conviction. And by the way, sometimes conviction isn't really... Um, what we think it is, it can often just be cloaked selfishness. Because really, at the end of the day, what's important in a church is that we are going all in the same direction. And let me take it back to sheep or to goats. When they're all going in different directions, that does not serve any good purpose. And it really doesn't matter if Clover wants to go south and all the other goats want to go north. She's got to put aside, uh, you know, her inclinations. And, and maybe there's good reasons and maybe she has a very strong conviction that the right thing is to go south. I'm being a little bit anthropomorphic here, but, you know, really, there's something about that. We've got to learn that sometimes the most important thing is to obey our leaders. By the way, never put somebody in leadership who doesn't know how to submit to other leaders. Um, I think part of the logic here is that the younger 
men who are going to be leaders or the younger uh, people in the church, you know, they've got to learn how to obey. And then there will come a day where they are going to be leaders. The worst thing that can happen within a church is to have your leadership absolutely divided. You know, Jesus made that as an argument with the Pharisees. How can a house stand if it's divided against itself? You see, real maturity is when you're able to support people have different opinions than you. And you support them 100% and you get behind them and you follow them. Why? Because that's what's best for the body. That's why Clover needs to go north with the rest of the, sh the, the goats. Because as soon as she goes, there's going to be a bunch of people, go a bunch of goats going with her. Don't be that goat that is going in the wrong direction. Obey your leaders. You know, it's really very simple. In the same way, well, in the same way that the elders, in the same way that Christ, submit yourself to your elders, all of you, Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because you don't want to be fighting God. See, that's what Peter ended up doing. He tells Jesus, never, that's not going to happen. But what was he actually doing? He was fighting the God of the universe. He had to stand down. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. And I love the fact that he doesn't just leave this. You see, we aren't just called to be doormats. Uh, we believe in a God who will exalt us, lift us up at the right time. And, you know, we have many stories in Scripture. Naaman, uh, in the book of Esther, <clears throat> was doing what he needed to do. And at one point, uh, in a very sort of humorous way, he gets lifted up where his direct supervisor, person that was most against him in the Persian government, has to take him through the streets and proclaim just how wonderful Naaman was. In other words, Naaman did get lifted up. Mordecai, Mordecai sorry. I had the wrong name there. Uh, and so that was, uh, you know, we have many stories. God will lift you up at the appropriate time. Uh, I've seen that often in my own life. A lot of things that we worry about in terms of what goes on in terms of leadership, in the end, work themselves out, and God will work it out. You trust God with that. And just remember, because God is in control, and your leaders, our earthly leaders, are not you know, they didn't get put into that place without God being part of that whole decision. Justin Trudeau is not the Prime Minister of Canada simply because he woke up one day and decided to. Part of the reason he's there is because God, in one way or another, has a purpose for him to be there. And we need to be in sync with what God is all about. Because in the end, he'll lift you up and there will be glory. You can always be absolutely convinced. 
of that reality. Today we're going to um, celebrate communion. And uh, I'm going to ask uh, Don and who else? Okay, come on, John. As we prepare, um, just to go along with this particular theme, in 1 Corinthians, uh, and we talked a little bit about this in Sunday school, one of the things about the Lord's Supper is that it's about us coming together in unity. You see, one of the things that had happened in the Corinthian church was that uh, there was uh, discrimination at the Lord's table. The rich would have lots to eat, and those who didn't have a whole lot of money didn't have anything, and they would go hungry. And, and one of the things that's symbolic about the Lord's table is that we come together, and we make sure that everyone, we come together in unity, we share and we uh, demonstrate the unity of the body of Christ. There are many other things that are really significant about uh, the Lord's table. Uh, we remember his sacrifice, we look forward, uh, we are proclaiming um, the Lord's death. But this morning I'd like us, as you prepare yourself, to just think about this whole idea that you need to be at one with all the members of body, uh, in the body of Christ. You need to submit to one another. And ultimately, how we decide the directions that we go is that we submit to the leadership. This isn't, the, the Christian walk isn't an independent thing. We get baptized into the body of Christ and then we go forward as a corporate unity. And the Spirit of God keeps working in that direction to bring us into a great deal of unity. And so as we uh, celebrate this morning, uh, we'll have three stations, and you can come forward uh, when the time is right for that and uh, when you feel that you're ready. And then we'll um, partake of the elements together. But even that symbolism, we're all coming together. We're all waiting for each other. And then we do this corporately together. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you've not only instructed us, but that you have the Holy Spirit working deeply in each of our hearts to bring about unity. And we come before your table wanting to discern whether there's anything there that we might be harboring that would disrupt the unity that the Spirit wants to accomplish in your body. We are reminded of that incredible sacrifice that Jesus made for us. 
we remember too that you gladly invite us into the kingdom and you give each of us that incredible status of being equal and being heirs of Christ. And all of that is because of what Jesus did. None of it is anything to do with us. And so I pray that as we reflect upon all of this, we will be so grateful that our only response is to love those around us in the best possible way and lay down all of our self-importance, all of our selfishness, because of what you have done for us. We ask that you would be glorified, that your body, that Christ, would be glorified in this way by our actions this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.